Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Hi, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. I'm Deborah Beaumont, and I'm your host. This week's episode is going to be a little bit of a different format. I really want to do a deep dive into something that I feel very passionate about and something that's near and dear to my heart and something that I think is going to be really important for you to understand as well. And that's the world of mighty, mighty hormones. I think in breast cancer recovery and breast cancer treatment, we get inundated with so much information about hormones and hormone management and estrogen blocking medications and estrogen blocking treatments that it can be really overwhelming. One of the problems that I see is that from a conventional medicine standpoint, there's a serious misunderstanding and lack of understanding of the interconnectedness of hormones. Sometimes it feels like it's a -a whack-a-mole kind of picture that comes up in my head where women will contact me and they'll talk about maybe some spot testing that their doctors have done. They've hit one mole and then something pops up in something else and something pops up in another hole. And it's just chasing this picture of hormone balancing with prescriptions. And I think it's really missing the point. And I really hope that after today's episode, You'll have a little bit better understanding of hormones, the interconnectedness of hormones, and things that you need to understand about your own body. I hope to do it and give you an understanding of some of the common myths in the medical world and some of the things that we need to do to be in better charge of our health. I will tell you that this is the most common issue I hear from my clients, and I have many, many questions coming from women who contact me about hormones. And I'm not talking about just the big kahuna of hormones, which is estrogen, which is certainly something that we are going to talk about and certainly something we need to understand. But we've got a lot more going on in our bodies than just estrogen and estrogen fluctuations and estrogen blocking, which often happens in breast cancer treatment. We've got metabolic hormones and we've got thyroid hormones and we've got stress hormones, hormones that are the signalings coming from our brain and we've got signaling and functioning that is being affected by the nutrients that we have. And it's a very complex picture that I think all All too often, it's just reduced to something that's very simplistic, and it's not. I really want to emphasize that I think that the interconnectedness of hormones is the piece that's missing that we need to understand. You can pick up any textbook, and they will talk about something called the HPATG axis. That's hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid, HPA, adrenal, and gonadal. They talk about that axis, and what that actually says to me, all of our hormones are interconnected, and yet when we go for treatment, it is not being assessed or treated from a standpoint that they're interconnected. It's being treated from the whack-a-mole standpoint, and I really want to address that. So the way I see it, there are many problems with hormones and how they're assessed and tested. Our traditional system. And there are attitudes about uh, the legitimacy of the symptoms that we're experiencing because of hormone imbalances. I mean, really, how many of you have heard, oh, that's just how she is around her period, or oh, she's just going through the change of life, or oh, this is happening. And it's just really dismissed and discounted and poo-pooed. If you've been going through any of those things, you know that it is anything but something that needs to be made fun of. We don't have a system that really looks at how it's all connected and how it's all all playing together. I think that we need to really have a different conversation and a different understanding of it. Let's talk about the big Kona, which is estrogen. 
definitely when it comes to estrogen, there's a lot of misunderstanding about estrogen. The first thing I want to tell you is that estrogen is not one thing. There are different forms of estrogen. Actually, our body makes three different forms of estrogen. And as those estrogens are metabolized in our body, they give off byproducts, estrogen metabolites, which have estrogen-like effects on our body. So actually, if you think about it from that standpoint, you can think about that that's coming from like six different data points. So there's the three estrogens, and then there's the metabolites of the estrogen, and all of those are affecting us in different ways. We have estrogen that is being made by the fat cells of our body. And that is one of the big issues that comes up in menopause, is that as we lose natural estrogen production from our ovaries, our bodies have the ability to make estrogen because it is such an essential and vital hormone in our body that our body has the ability to make it from other organs. And mainly that would be the adrenal gland and the fat cells of our body. Yes, fat cells are a estrogen making machine in our body. So if you think about that, that has impact for us when they're talking about the drugs they're prescribing for estrogen blocking after chemotherapy and surgery. Because the difference between tamoxifen and an aromatase inhibitor, the main distinction they're looking at is, are you in menopause or not? If you are not in menopause, then the majority of your estrogen is being produced in your ovaries. And that is why they prescribe tamoxifen. Tamoxifen doesn't affect the production of estrogen as much as it affects the ability of it to latch on to receptor sites in breast tissue. So the estrogen is there, but tamoxifen is blocking it from latching on and having an effect. That is quite different than the action of aromatase in inhibitors, which is actually inhibiting an enzyme called aromatase, which is the primary enzyme that converts male sex hormones into estrogen once you've gone through menopause. So that whole estrogen making ability has now shifted from the ovaries into the fat cells. Aromatase is the enzyme that allows that to happen. And aromatase inhibitors are trying to block that enzyme pathway in order to reduce the production of estrogen. Has a completely different side effect profile and has completely different effects than if you took tamoxifen and has completely different risk factors. I want to point out to you that a lot of that is explained in a free guide that I have on my website that you can reach at www.mindbodynutritionrn.com. And I have a whole guide that talks about side effects of these estrogen blocking medications and aromatase inhibitors. This is vital information that I feel we all need to have before you ever make a decision to go on one of these medications. You may have this information and decide to go on the medications, but it is absolutely essential that you know what the side effects are and you go into that process from a very informed decision base. It's complicated. It's very personal, but it's something that I really think that we need more information about prior to going on these treatments. All too often, I find women are put on these medications and they're never told what the side effects are or, or what to expect. And then they have these sometimes very serious side effects. They talk to their doctors about it and it's just dismissed or they're being told there's really no option. And this is kind of an area that, that I feel very passionate about, that we need to educate ourselves and be very informed. So please, if you uh, have an interest in, or you're being recommended to go on these medications, please check out that free guide. So going back to the whole um, issue of estrogen. So estrogen is the big kahuna. And even when 
they're talking about estrogen and it's not in relation to breast cancer. It's in relation to menopause. In younger women, PCOS or problems with your period or irregularities, estrogen is still grossly misunderstood. I think actually one of the things that blows me away is that the understanding of what happens in a woman's body in menopause from a traditional doctor is still the the idea that you are low in progesterone, that you experience this sharp drop-off in progesterone. So that's why they prescribe estrogen replacement therapy to manage the symptoms of hot flashes, symptoms of mood disturbances, difficulty sleeping, aches and pains, just, you know, the whole list of symptoms that come up with menopause. So they're like, well, uh, you're short in estrogen, so we need to give you estrogen to get through those symptoms. Well, the truth is, is that your body doesn't go from being on a full tank to an empty tank in one day. During that period of time, estrogen is definitely fluctuating. Certainly a factor, but it's the fluctuation of estrogen not the absolute depletion of estrogen that is causing the symptoms. So the severity of a woman's symptoms will oftentimes be determined or driven by how that estrogen is being balanced by another very important hormone in our bodies called progesterone. So it's not necessarily that you're short in estrogen or deficient in estrogen, but it's the balance between estrogen and progesterone. That is just not the approach of conventional medicine. The problem is, is that with that understanding that, oh, you know, you just need more estrogen. As we all know, if you've dealt with breast cancer, many of these hormone-driven cancers that we have, it comes directly back to the use of synthetic hormones. So the risk factor of an estrogen driven breast cancer or even cervical cancer goes up tremendously with the use of these prescriptions for menopause. So it's a really important thing to understand that it's not just a matter of knowing what your estrogen is doing. It's knowing how it's balanced out with your other sex hormones, particularly progesterone. With that being said, it's also important to understand that we have sources of estrogen coming into our body that is not our natural estrogen, but has a high relationship to hormone-driven cancers. So that's where the whole issue of xenoestrogens comes in. And we're being exposed to xenoestrogens in any number of products and in our environment on a continuous basis. And even with the best, most concerted effort to decrease the amount of fake estrogens or xenoestrogens that we're being exposed to, there's no way to get away from it completely. But there are definitely things that we can do that make a huge impact. Things like cosmetics are actually the biggest source of xenoestrogens in our environment. Plastics, plastic water bottles are a huge source of artificial estrogens, which in many ways override the your body's own estrogens in terms of what latches onto the cells and has much a much higher incidence of promoting cancerous activity. One of the things that comes up is phytoestrogens because there are quote-unquote phytoestrogens in vegetables and in the foods that we eat. But the truth is, is that some of those estrogens are actually beneficial. They're weaker estrogens. They are not uh, known to be cancer-promoting. And yet women are being told not eat soy or not eat flax seeds, which are two actually very beneficial estrogens. They're weak estrogens, but they're actually more protective in the body and not cancer-promoting. But in this wide swath of advice that all estrogen is bad, women are being given erroneous advice. And that's one of the myths is that there are beneficial estrogens and there are more cancer-promoting estrogens. And it's really important to understand that distinction. That's a huge 
topic, it's probably something I could do an entire show on. But if you have questions about that, please reach out to me and I can certainly uh, give you some information on that. Moving on from estrogen, which is a big, important topic, and I don't mean to diminish that in any way. I also want to emphasize that there are other hormones that we need to be aware of that impact our health. When we talk about hormones, we're not just talking about estrogen. We're also talking about metabolic hormones. So if you think about stress hormones or thyroid hormones or glucose and insulin, which is a hormone secreted in our body, those are very important to understand because the incidence of poor thyroid function is rampant. It is poorly diagnosed and poorly assessed and women are not getting treated for it. In the medical world, when they look at thyroid function, they're looking to see if you have clinical hypothyroidism or low thyroid, or if you have something called Graves' disease, which is high thyroid. And outside of that, perhaps more than any other hormone in our body, your thyroid function needs to be optimal. Not just looking at it to see if it's normal or abnormal, but it really needs to be optimal because even in the normal reference range of thyroid numbers, you can pretty well imagine that you could be feeling fundamentally different if you come back with thyroid numbers that are low in the range or high in the range. That's important to know because so many women are experiencing exhaustion, difficulty with weight, digestive problems, and in highly stressed states, and it's affecting their adrenal and thyroid function, and it's being undiagnosed. In the cancer world, the most common symptom that I hear from my clients is them complaining about brain fog. It's often written off to be chemo brain, which I guess is just the way of saying, well, that's just the natural consequence of the treatment you went through. I don't consider it to be a natural and an inevitable consequence. I feel it's something that can be very directly addressed, but you have to assess it correctly. And that means you need to know what's going on with your thyroid and adrenal function and your glucose and your insulin because they all they all play off of each other. But particularly the thyroid is an area that I think we need to get revolutionary about our understanding of it and how we're testing it. From a conventional standpoint, they usually only test one thyroid marker, which is TSH. If TSH is normal, they're not going to test the rest. Well, there's about six other tests that you need to know and you need to test. And it's all done in traditional lab testing. It's, it's not anything particularly exotic. It's just not done. There are many other markers you need to know about to have a complete picture. TSH is basically what your brain is reading in terms of your thyroid in your body, but it doesn't tell you anything about what's happening at the level of your cells and your ability to use thyroid. And we have different forms of thyroid in our body. We have inactive thyroid, which is stored for emergencies. And we have active thyroid, which is what we use to feel good, have good energy, have good uh, metabolism, have good weight balance. Well, if your body, for a number of reasons, is perceiving that it needs to store thyroid hormone for a future emergency, and it is not making it available to your body to use at the level of the cells, then you're not going to feel very good. That's one of the things that doctors don't look at. It's called T4 and T3. And it's essential to know what those are because you can have thyroid in your system. It just may not be helping you very much. And there are things that you can do usually from the level of supplements and making some 
dietary and nutritional changes that support good thyroid function, in addition to optimizing your adrenal function, which is very connected to thyroid function, you can do through lifestyle and through supplements and, and just do through some more straightforward changes that don't necessarily involve going on a prescription. And I don't want to get really geeky and technical about that, but I just want to bring it to your attention that there's more going on than just the one test that doctors typically test for. So if they're only testing a TSH, they don't have the whole picture to even advise you what to do. One other interesting little fact that I like to let people know is going back to those xenoestrogens I was just referring to, they have actually found that the fake or xenoestrogens that we're being exposed to through plastic, through Teflon, through all of the different ways it's coming into our environment, uh, but particularly the plastic exposure that we're getting actually is affecting our thyroid function at the cellular level, but it's doing nothing to affect TSH, which is the brain part of the thyroid assessment. So basically, we're being ex exposed to plastics that are affecting us at a metabolic level, but it's not triggering anything in our brain to tell us that there's a problem. And to me, that's a problem. That's one of the things that I do a lot of teaching around. So if you have any questions, please, as I said, you know, reach out to me and we can certainly have a bigger conversation about that. Moving on from that, I really want to address adrenal function because adrenal function and thyroid function are intertwined. There is no way you can talk about one without the other. So the adrenal function is what happens uh, around our stress hormones, um, that fight or flight response that we're also prone to. And the fact is, is that we kind of live lifestyles that leave us in a chronically stressed state. So basically, what was once developed as a survival mechanism and something to help us if our life was being threatened is now being turned on constantly. And we are being flooded with stress hormones. And the thing I want to say about that is that stress is not just an emotional experience. Stress is very much of a chemical and physical experience. So if you're a highly stressed person and you're not addressing that, it is absolutely affecting every other aspect of your body. So if you're somebody who's going in and you're struggling with blood sugar and you know your doctor is telling you that, that he's concerned about diabetes, you absolutely have to look at what's happening to those stress hormones, what's happening with stress in your life, because cortisol is one of those things that causes our body to have elevated blood glucose, because that's what gives us energy. So if you're just going in and your doctor says, wow, you're pre-diabetic and you know, I need to you know, recommend this prescription, it is completely connected to what's happening with your stress levels, with your thyroid function, and actually even with your estrogen levels. They're all interconnected. And so it's a huge area that we need to talk about. If you've listened to any of my podcasts and you think about the podcast that was done with Carrie Jones, who does Dutch hormone testing, which is dried urine hormone testing, which is the most comprehensive way to test hormones, a large part of the Dutch is testing for estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all of these sex hormones. The first part of the test is actually assessing your adrenal hormones because it is so interconnected that you can't, you can't fail to assess the whole picture. It's an area that, that most people don't know, and it's one that I love teaching about and I do a lot of education about. So once again, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. 
And last and not least is glucose and insulin. This is a huge issue for women, for anybody actually, because diabetes is prevalent in our society. Too often, doctors will sit and monitor your blood sugar and, you know, a test that they call hemoglobin A1C, and they monitor it and they monitor it and they monitor it. And then one day they tell you, oh, well, you're diabetic or you have to take this medication. And the fact is, is that diabetes is one of those things that you can see changes in lab values six to seven years prior to an official diagnosis of diabetes. So what I'm saying is that diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes, which is lifestyle-based, is absolutely preventable. But you need to know what the markers are and you need to know how to prevent it. That's what one of the main areas to look at and one of the main areas that most functional medicine practitioners will work with you on because it's so central to every other aspect of our health. There are three major autoimmune conditions that are affecting us in in epidemic proportions, and that is cancer, diabetes, and arthritis. They're all inflammatory disease processes. They all are a reflection of lifestyle at some point. And there are statistics that show if you have one of those, you're statistically at a much higher risk of having one, if not the other two in that triad. So that means that if you're a diabetic, you have a higher risk of having cancer. Or if you have arthritis, you have a higher risk of cancer or a higher risk of diabetes than the average person. And it's something that you can identify in its early stages, you can address and you can get on top of and actually sometimes prevent ever getting a disease at the end of that of that metabolic process. And that disease is usually diabetes or it's cancer or it's arthritis. There are definitely things that you can do to improve your health around those areas. If there's anything that you take from that, please, please take that, that these are preventable illnesses in many situations. And if you, if you are addressing the lifestyle factors that contribute to them, sometimes you can actually prevent getting those diseases at all. So that's one aspect. People who already have it are at a higher risk of cancer, particularly breast cancers. But particularly in the area of diabetes, the process of going through treatment, the process of going through the stress and the physiological assault of treatment, medications, and surgery can actually create imbalances in your blood sugar and insulin that are absolutely reversible. But if you don't know what's going on, you can't reverse it, and then you're actually at a higher risk for diabetes. So it's an area that is really important to address when treatment is over. The focus of my work actually is to help people address these issues that come up when treatment is over. And for every reason that I understand, I've been there. Uh, Going through cancer treatment is frightening. It's overwhelming. We are being thrown into a situation where we have to make so many important life-changing decisions on very limited information in and being very anxious and afraid. And so much focus is actually put on cancer and what cancer is going to do that sometimes these other health issues get pushed to the back burner or not even assessed at all. I know that that was the case for me actually in a a backwards way. The first time I had cancer, I went through surgery. I had uh, complications that actually became more urgent and more pressing than the cancer. And the cancer got shifted to the back burner. They were so focused on whether or not I was going to die from sepsis, from what was happening with other things. And I remember saying to my doctor one day, they came in, they did the whole assessment, uh, the vascular assessment, which 
was what was going on. And then they're like, okay, we'll see you in six months. And I remember saying, um, excuse me, what about the cancer? And they were like, oh yeah, we forgot about that. Well, that's what happens all too often with cancer. It's like, you've got cancer, but it's like, hey, what about these other things? What about, you know, quality of life issues related to this, these medications that we're being told to take? What are the side effects of that? What can I expect? What, what can I do if I have side effects that are debilitating? Those conversations too often never happen. And that's one of the biggest frustrations that I experience is that. And, and one of the things that I hear from women all the time, my doctor didn't tell me that these were the risk of taking this medication, or they don't take the time to talk to me about it. Or I have questions, but I can only see them for 15 minutes. I talked to a woman last week, and she said that her doctor, uh, she was doing her six-month check, and she had a list of questions for her doctor. Her doctor actually started yelling at her because the session was going to take longer than 15 minutes, and they had too many patients backed up in the waiting room. It's like, that's, that, that's just insane to me. We're dealing with these huge, life-threatening illnesses. We're dealing with treatments that have huge consequences on our health and on our life. Absolutely, you should have as much time as you need to ask the questions and get the information you need to make an informed choice. Because too often, prescriptions are just being given out in a 15-minute appointment, and they are oftentimes, A, not really helping with the problem very much, B, sometimes have other consequences that they didn't tell you about and they usually don't discuss with you until you're kind of down the hole and you're having the problems anyway, and they're not talking to you about alternatives and other things that you can do. And that's what I'm really passionate about doing as a functional medicine practitioner is really helping people understand these treatment choices they're making and what their options are and how it applies to them because there should not be a cookie cutter way of treating everyone. Not everyone should go on the same medication. Not everyone should go on the same dose. It doesn't make sense, but that's, that's how it generally comes out is that everybody goes on this protocol and it doesn't really matter whether or not it fits for you or there's not enough consideration to whether or not it fits for you. And then if you have problems, you're just considered an outlier and what's wrong with you? You know, you just keep going along, you know, with the pack. Well, the fact is, is that, is that all of these treatments have tremendous impact and we need to understand that. And I really feel the more you understand that and the more you understand what's going on with your body, the better able you are to have this conversation with your doctors and your practitioners and really challenge them to, to explain why they're doing what they're doing or, or why they're recommending what they're recommending. And it's really Im important for them to help you understand and I feel like that's what I do as a functional medicine practitioner. I, I actually work in um, conjunction with traditional doctors. But what I'm trying to do is really help women understand all of this that's going on, understand uh, how everything's connected and understanding what they can do to actually feel better. Because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. We didn't go through all of this treatment and we didn't go through all of these surgeries and we didn't go through this grueling diagnosis just to feel like crap at the end of the day, not have enough energy to get out of bed, have so much brain fog that we can't remember our husband's names or our children's names. Or, you know, sometimes women are just describing being so debilitated, they can barely function. And that's not good enough. We didn't go through all of this just to get by. We went through all of this to live and to, and to feel vital and healthy in our lives. And too often, the system that is being used is not helping us accomplish that. It may be, may be managing aspects of the disease, but it's certainly not helping us feel well and feel healthy and feel vibrant in our lives.
And I think that that's what matters. I get so frustrated when I hear the issue that quality of life is only brought up when it's an end-stage diagnosis or terminal. Quality of life matters every single day. And if you're going through something and you don't have a good quality of life, that's important and it's important to stop and look at. And in my experience, what I found is that oftentimes you can feel better and have a good quality of life. And it really oftentimes comes down to these, these this complicated dance of hormones and how how our health is being affected by them. And so, as you can probably tell, it's something that I feel very passionate about. So, in today's episode, I've just really done kind of a surface overview of some of the more important hormone issues that I think that we need to know about. And I am certainly available to help you explore that in more depth if that's something that you feel would be helpful. You can always schedule a free consult with me at www.mindbodynutritionrn.com or you can reach out to me by email at radicalhealthrn.com. In order to help with some of this, I also have a free e-guide on my website that talks about hormone blocking medications and side effects that are are associated with that, information that I think that we all need. Um, And I want to be a resource. So I really invite you to take advantage of that. Follow the podcast on Facebook and to go back and listen to some of the podcasts that I've already done that talk about some of this in more detail. Or if you have questions, as I said, please feel free to reach out to me. I really thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been helpful. Please send me your thoughts and comments. And also let me know if there's other issues or other areas you'd like to learn about. And I will certainly present that in future episodes. So until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or feedback, you can reach Deborah at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com or her website, www.MindBodyNutritionRN.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. For future episodes, subscribe on iTunes, where you can also leave positive reviews. Until next time.